Welcome to Setsang. Hello, Vishrant. Can you please talk about the topic, the gift of Satsang? So Satsang is a Sanskrit word that means basically association with truth. Um, traditionally, this was a group gathered around someone who was enlightened. The Sat Guru, the one who was awakened. And in that association or that presence, there was the potential of enlightenment because people were sitting in a Buddha field that had been produced by the person who was awakened. Uh, more modern times, uh, satsang has come to mean a spiritual discourse um, in some in some religions. But from my from my perspective, satsang is to be in association with truth, or in the company of someone who's awake. And so, for someone who's awake, satsang is twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. It's all the time. Those who come around someone who's awake are in satsang because they're associating with truth. And if we're looking for the fastest way to raise our consciousness levels and wake up to our true nature, there is nothing faster than being in satsang. And so if I think I started going to satsangs in about 1983 or somewhere like that with Osho Rajneesh. And he would sit for two to three hours in silence and uh, we'd sit on a marble floor without any back support just for that period of time in absolute silence and stillness because when I first joined Osho, he was in silence and that would happen in the morning and it would also happen in the evening in the evening one was called dashin which is also satsang it's the same pretty much more of an energy phenomenon and so for the first year or so i sat with him every <laughs> in that morning and evening in the silence and that creates a certain discipline in you uh, to be still, to be silent. And the next uh, year I went along, he had started talking again. So then Satsang uh, was uh, still in his presence, uh, still in the Buddha hall, still sitting on a stone floor, marble floor, for two to three hours. But he was now giving discourse, uh, spiritual discourse. And that changed everything because you can't imagine what it's like to actually be in satsang because we don't have reference points for it so trying to describe it to somebody who's never been in satsang or never been in the presence of someone who's awake they're not going to have the reference points to understand what you're trying to say someone who's awake is putting out an energy field or a buddha field that starts to silence the mind, 
starts to bring peace, starts to expand the mind, and starts to show you there's another possibility here. The possibility that you're not an ego, you're not an I, you're not the body, but there's something else here that you are, that the guru is living as. Pure awareness, pure consciousness, our true nature. So it is referred to as association with truth because the truth is we are pure beingness. We are not a somebody that's been somewhere, that's going somewhere later. We are here now and we are pure awareness, pure consciousness. But most humans don't know themselves as that. They think of themselves as the mind and the body that's been somewhere that's going somewhere. The whole quest for the seeker is to find the truth of who we really are, what we really are. And the guru, the sad guru, is living as that. And so when we come into the presence of someone who's awake, we're putting ourselves in the doorway for knowing our own true nature. And so satsang, for me, was invaluable. After Osho died in 1990, I, I felt that uh, the possibility of awakening had gone. It wasn't until uh, some seven years later when the Advaita Vedanta teachers started coming to Perth and I started sitting with them that I realized there was still a possibility because they were carrying the presence. The sad gurus that were coming to Perth were carrying a Buddha field. And in that Buddha field, awakening occurred. It's like you get one candle and it's lit and another candle that's not lit and you put them together, the wicks, and both get lit. Nothing is lost from the first, but the second one is now lit. Satsang has that potential for all human beings. The light can light someone else. And so the importance of satsang for the seeker is immeasurable. So tune into the energy field. Tune in to the Buddha field. What's being said in a lot of ways is irrelevant because it's just a collection of knowledge. Satsang is about the energy field. Tune into the energy field and find yourself as truth. It'll be a shock because you'll find yourself as nothingness, vast nothingness, vast nothingness that is full somehow, that you can never describe, but it is real. And from that perspective, the mind gets to see that nothing about itself is real, all imagined. Even the ego is imagined. What is real is pure beingness that we are right now. Tune in.
Any questions? Any statements? Any challenges to this teaching today? The first question. How can I know if I'm tuned in to a Buddha field? Your mind will start expanding and will start quietening down. You'll find peace. <clears throat> the Buddha symptoms of a Buddha field are peace, silence, stillness, expansion of the mind. And it's beautiful. If you're not experiencing any of those things, well, you're probably not tuned in. I must say, though, in answering that question, the first time that I came into the presence of Rajneesh, Osho Rajneesh, I didn't feel much. My mind was too closed. I'd been a businessman for a lot of years, and my mind was just too closed. And so I didn't perceive a great deal of the Buddha field that he was putting out. The next year that I went, it knocked my socks off <laughs> because something had opened in me and I could perceive it quite clearly and cleanly. And so just open up, open up, let go and tune in. What is the process or technique of tuning in? Okay, so you feel an energy field. You feel something maybe around your forehead or around, your, around the skull like this. You start to feel a certain pressure. Tune into it and watch it expand your mind. And in that, if you look, there's just profound peace. The mind starts to quieten. It feels like the mind is expanding. It's beautiful. My mind fell in love with satsang. Why do you choose to hold satsang? <laughs> Choice. <laughs> Choose to hold satsang. Satsang is 24 hours a day. There's no choice. <laughs> I guess you're talking about formal satsang. My teacher said, if you find the light, don't hide it. If you find the light, show it out there so others can find it too. The only way out of suffering in this world is to know yourself as truth. There is no other way. And so it's up to you. Find yourself as truth and be free. I hold satsang so others can find the light. The world is suffering. Humans are suffering. All suffering is caused by desire. Find yourself as pure awareness. Suffering ceases. Wake up to your true nature. Suffering ends.
all those who hold satsang, hold satsang to help those who are suffering. Because there is no other freedom except knowing yourself as truth. The following question has been asked by Terry on Facebook. Am I off base if I have treatment to help a physical problem? Heck no. <laughs> Why would you be off base? If you want to go and see a doctor to get a treatment or a, some sort of practitioner to get a treatment that's going to help you in some way, why wouldn't you? There's, there's nothing wrong with getting treatment. My whole approach to life is acceptance. And so whatever's wrong is accepted, but that doesn't mean that we just need to leave it. We can go and get it fixed if we want from a place of acceptance. The next question has been written by Allegra. Hello, Vish. This is Allegra. I'm Cooper's sister. I'm watching you with mummy. Can I join Satsang one day when I grow up, please? <laughs> Allegra, you can come to Satsang, uh, our public Satsangs on Friday night. Any Friday night you want to come. You just have to be a little quiet and a little still, that's all. And those satsangs uh, last for one hour, so it's not too long for you. You're very welcome. I know that you've asked me for a new name. <laughs> Nothing has come yet, Allegra. We're still waiting. <laughs> but you're welcome to come to satsangs Friday night with your mum. The next question. Does anyone benefit from coming to satsang or only the people who are ready? <laughs> That's a funny question I don't know the answer to. My understanding is that everyone benefits from it. I guess it's how you look at it. You see, one of the things that happens when you're in the presence of someone who's awake is your mind starts to relax all the coping mechanisms start to relax. And so if you're holding down pain body, that's likely to start coming out afterwards. And so you come into satsang and you find expanded mind and a little bit of ecstasy, or a little bit of bliss, a little bit of silence and stillness. And then afterwards, you have to do the laundry. <laughs> because whatever's been inside of you, whatever you're carrying may start to come out. Uh, Carl Jung referred to this as the dark night of the soul, where what's been repressed has to starts to filter itself to the surface and be experienced or felt. And so I think that saying touches everybody that comes. I don't think there's any way to get away from that. Best thing is to come and see. <laughs> The next question, are all satsangs equal or does it depend on, for lack of a better word, the quality of a teacher? 
Okay, so I don't see the words as important. I don't see the knowledge being imparted as important. Not really. We can go to a library and get all the knowledge that you can find in satsang because it's been repeated for 10,000 years. There's nothing new under the sun. What's important is the energy field. Tune in. That's the important part. What's important is the energy field and nothing else. People come along and they collect knowledge. They actually shouldn't be. It's not, it's, it's not the way. Tune in and find your own true nature. No amount of knowledge ever set anyone free. No amount of knowledge healed a wound of the heart. Tune in. Find that space that is inside of you that is everything and nothing. What would help me to become more sensitive to the Buddha field? <laughs> that I don't know. Uh, some people come in and they, they lose their minds immediately. Some people come in and they can stay quite solid for quite a long time. My understanding is that openness counts for everything. The more open you are in life, the more you perceive many things. And so if you're open to the Buddha field, you probably perceive other people's energy as well. Things like anger and sadness and joy and bliss. You can feel these things in other people as well. But if you're very closed, you might not perceive anything. And so the seeker has to open up. Take defenses down. Walk through the world in a vulnerable way. And this, this allows the perception of heart, the perception of love, this openness, this undefendedness. And this is very beautiful. But that's up to you. You create your reality by the way you think. You create your reality by your defense systems, your closures, your belief systems. Have a look at yourself and see. See what you're creating. Are you open or are you closed? You want to feel satsang, open up. The next question. If practicing the teachings is the only thing that makes a difference, what's the benefit of being in satsang? So after Osho died in 1990, I practiced what he taught and he taught meditation, he taught watching the mind and he taught openness as a way of the heart. And I practiced all of these things diligently and I practiced self-inquiry Zen style. And I was working and managing a family, but I still kept up my spiritual practices I would say not very many people, if any, knew that I was doing them, but I was doing them. And undoing myself as an I, undoing my defense systems, undoing my mind. And then 
seven years later, eight years later, a man walked into an auditorium. He was awake. His name was Isaac Shapiro. And the moment he walked in the door, awakening occurred. It didn't last. It was a satori. It was a glimpse, but it was there. It was a result of all the work that had been done to open up the psyche and the presence of this awake man was just enough to wake what was here, to turn what was here back to itself. I don't think you could measure what that's worth. It seems that satsang changed your life. Some people have attended many satsangs, but I've not changed much. Why do you, why is that? Attending satsang alone is not enough. If you're not doing the work of undoing the mind, of developing a mind that is equanimous, in other words, one that doesn't react every time it doesn't agree with somebody or something, you're not doing the work that's needed to prepare the mind to support awakening. Awareness, aware of itself is enlightenment, but the mind needs to be able to support that, particularly in the early days. A mind that is constantly contracting because it doesn't agree with the way the world is, that's in resistance, is going to not support enlightenment, even if satori's occur, even if people find themselves as truth. The mind is not going to support it. It's not going to stay. Those people who are awake have a mind that is in support of truth. More than likely, that mind has given itself to truth. Another way of saying that is the mind or the ego and the mind has given itself to God. Thy will be done, not my will. In that unconditional surrender to truth or unconditional surrender to God, enlightenment can last. There is no such thing as selfish enlightenment. You as an I, you as a mind, give yourself to truth. That works. Because you as a mind aren't even real. You're not real. You're imagined. Take away your imagination and you don't exist. But if you give yourself to truth, you then as a mind rest in truth. And awareness aware of itself stays. So how can I get the most out of sitting in satsang? <laughs> <laughs> Tune in. <laughs> it's funny the question's already been answered. Tune in. That's the that's how you can get the most out of sitting in satsang. But if you want to get the most towards higher consciousness, undo the mind. Undo all the defense systems that create contraction in you. Undo all the belief systems that create contraction in you. 
start to walk through the world open. Wear your heart on your sleeve. Openness really does count for everything. And that's going to be up to you because you are the one who creates your mind. You spoke about putting truth first. How did you get to the stage where you always put truth first? It was clear to my mind that if truth was put first, there was a possibility of awakening. It was also clear to the mind that if truth was not put first, there was going to be no awakening. What we put our awareness on, we live as. When awareness is on awareness, we're basically living or existing as beingness. When awareness is just on our minds, we live as our minds. And so depending on what our minds are doing in any particular moment is what we live as if our awareness is on our minds. And so people who are uh, angry basically live as anger. People who are sad live as sadness. People who are frightened live as fear. Whatever we put our awareness on, we live as. And this is why present moment awareness to what is real is important. Because if we're present to what is real and we're not thinking, life is pretty good. This is not enlightenment, but it's pretty good. It's higher consciousness. Now, when awareness is on awareness, we live as that. And that's why some gurus say, I am that. Or you are that. Because what we are can't be described. That's an attempt. One thing is for sure, we are not this. <laughs> we're not this. We just think we're this. Find that that's aware of the mind. Find that. Turn awareness back to that. There are times when I can tune into your presence and other times I can't, no matter how hard I try. What prevents a seeker from tuning in? Trying too hard. <laughs> you know, we, 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 feel the, we feel energy when we're open, uh, not when we're closed, really. It's in our openness that we perceive energy. It's in our openness that we perceive love. And it's in openness that we perceive the Buddha field of someone who's awake. Openness is really important, yet it's in a way against nature. It's natural for humans to be closed and defended, protected, because that helps us survive. But if we're going for higher consciousness, in a lot of ways, we're actually going against nature because the survival mechanism does way better if it's defended and closed. And the survival mechanism is your own mind. And so if you're going for enlightenment, it's an unnatural process because you're actually trying to defeat a survival mechanism that keeps you in contraction and lower consciousness. This is why enlightenment and even higher consciousness is relatively rare because it is against survival. 
unconditional surrender is against survival. Acceptance of life as it is, is against survival. Openness is against survival. But because we're intelligent, we can do all of those things if we want to, if we're willing. And because we're, we can be willing, we can wake up. But it is a, a bit of a struggle because we are going against a survival mechanism that's million years old. And it's good at surviving. It's tricky. It's sneaky. And this is why it's good to be in the company of people who are going in the same direction. They can point out where you're getting lost, where you're getting trapped, where you're still not letting go. Sometimes that saying is referred to being in good company. Good company, the best company. If you're interested in higher consciousness and enlightenment, is that saying with someone who's awake. You find your mind start expanding. You find peace. You're standing at the doorway to your own true nature. Pure awareness. And it's always here. The following question is from Craig on Facebook. My motivation to continue with this life I have created is nearly non-existent. I am happy to achieve nothing. Satsang is like a river of inspiration for me. Is this apparent reliance on satsang to support me a step forward? I got to a point uh, in the late 80s where I realized that uh, what I'd been doing with my life hadn't been in service of anybody else but myself. And that I was 33 years old and I saw that there was another possibility. Even though I couldn't see a meaning in life or a purpose in life except life itself, I saw another way of living that was quite beautiful, and that was to be in service of others. The way of the heart, to be open. So I pursued heart for quite a while, and at the same time I was pursuing enlightenment because I recognized that I'd been around the block so many times as a businessman, as a human being. I didn't want to really do it anymore that way. It was kind of like done, been there, done that. I wanted a different mountain to climb. The mountain of higher consciousness, the mountain of enlightenment, of course, that's a metaphor. There's no real mountain, but still. And so I set about looking for something that was better than what I'd been involved in, even though I had been successful in business. And I tell you, there is nothing better than heart. If you open right up, you love everybody and everything because love is always here and it's real. But it only can be really beset be perceived in openness. My thirst for truth 
It was strong. In 1998, I, did, I was willing to die for it. I gave it my absolute totality. And then for a year, there was a lot of Satori's. Maybe a thousand, maybe more, I don't know. But each time I'd flip back into ego-based reality, where I was a somebody again, from being vast emptiness and nothingness and everythingness to this somebody again. And then in 1999, in May, the flip didn't happen again. But my mind was absolutely total in its surrender to truth. It had literally given its life to truth. Or God, or whatever you want to call it. And so when someone tells me that all they're interested in is truth, I go, yay. <laughs> right on. That's the best thing I can hear. Because that's the chance. That's the chance of enlightenment. It's our thirst for truth that allows us to come home to the reality of what we are. As long as we don't have that thirst, there isn't any chance. You probably don't even know that you're imprisoned by the mind. But all you've got to do is look at the mind for a while and see how it operates. And you can see that the mind is quite a prison. And the bars of it are made of fear. But we can get out of that because it's not who we are. There is something aware of that prison. There is something that's always here. Pure consciousness. What is that? Turn awareness onto that. And know yourself as that. Is it important to sit with an enlightened teacher in person or is it equally powerful to attend satsang online or via YouTube videos? The energy field can be transmitted through um, video and online. There's no doubt about that. But the interaction's not there. If you've decided to become a student of someone who's awake, a sat guru, the guru will take you apart, will help you undo everything that's in the way, will help you remove the obstacles that are in the way of enlightenment. That's difficult to do online unless it's interactive. But it, it's much easier in person. The guru's real job is just to radiate light. But some gurus have skillful means which enable them to help you undo whatever it is that's in the way, whatever obstacles in the, that are in your way to freedom. So I would say that it's better to sit in person with someone than online, if you can. But if you can't, 
Online's not too bad. Did you ever want to repay your teachers for the gift of satsang? Yeah, that's not possible. You cannot re you cannot repay what's been given. The gratitude is almost overwhelming, but it can't be repaid. If you really want to repay someone who's awake for helping you wake up, stay awake and be a light so others can see because that's all they want and even that they don't have an expectation of but that'll make their heart sing what is the importance of the sangha of a teacher ah. well it comes under the triple gem the Buddha, the teachings of the Buddha, and the Sangha of the Buddha, the community that have gathered, gathered around the Buddha. If we want to uh, succeed at higher consciousness and enlightenment, it's best to hang out with people going in the same direction, people who will support you in that quest. Hanging out with people who are not into higher consciousness, who are not into enlightenment, probably won't work because they're going in a different direction. It's always best to be with people who will support you in what you're doing rather than being with people who don't. I see the Sangha as extremely important. Next question. Most groups who attend satsang also engage in seva or selfless service. Why is this done? There's a few different reasons. Seva basically just means service. So you belong to a community that's a spiritual community and you do service to maybe maintain the property that's, that the, the community um, group owns or um, maybe promote what's going on or it's, it's something where you're actually working for basically nothing. You're actually just serving. And this enables... Uh, the spreading of the Dharma. And so that's very beautiful. There is another reason Seva is good. It has the ability to bring people together while working for a community and bond them together and make the bonds of that community or that Sangha stronger. And so Seva also has the purpose of strengthening the whole Sangha, developing friendships, developing trust, developing understanding and communication with each other. And so Siva has that beautiful side effect as well. So it doesn't just uh, help <laughs> the mundane things get along, it also builds beautiful friendships, holds the community together So Siva is usually in, done in every community, spiritual community, whether it's Christian or Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim, Jewish, it do, doesn't matter. Most, most religions have Siva 
have service. It helps bond the community. People ser serving each other, people helping each other, people loving each other. I, I see Siva as very beautiful. I find that being in the energy field of satsang makes me more conscious. How did you support high conscious, consciousness when you were not in satsang? At the practice of openness. The only time we really go into lower consciousness is when we're dreaming, and particularly if we're contracting and dreaming or in resistance and dreaming. If we stay open, that supports higher consciousness. If we keep our awareness on what is real, that supports higher consciousness. And the only thing that is not real is what you think. And so present moment awareness and the practice of openness, from my perspective, uh, are ways towards higher consciousness and enlightenment. Counter to that, closure and defendedness is a highway to lower consciousness and you could refer to it as a highway to hell because all resistance is suffering. Next question. How did you make it possible for yourself to do the work while holding down a job, supporting a family and living life in general? Ah, I gave myself no choice. This is the thing with this discipline. Um, you give yourself no choice. You just do what you must do. And so I worked uh, with my family. Uh, I, I homeschooled my kids because I wanted to. And I worked from home. I had a clinic uh, connected to my home. So I was there a fair bit. And that was that was... That was really nice to be able to do that. But at the same time, I was practicing openness. I was practicing meditation because meditate, no one needs to know you're meditating. Meditation just means putting awareness on what is real. I practiced meditation. I practiced self-inquiry. I practiced watching my own mind to see what it was up to. I did all of these things while working uh, as a naturopath, working as a psychotherapist, being a family, being a dad. And I didn't step out of the marketplace. I found that the best time for me to meditate uh, formally was after my family had gone to sleep at night time. And so they'd go to sleep relatively early and that gave me an opportunity to not be disturbed at all by anyone or anything. So you'd find me meditating up till one o'clock at night just sitting silently watching my breath or self-inquiring and nobody knew that was my business you were speaking about closure and defendedness being highways to lower consciousness but would you say that closure and defendedness are natural to human beings? Oh yeah, it is natural to suffer. <laughs> it is very natural to suffer. Most of the world's population is suffering 
at some point during the day. And for some people, a lot of the time. The more resistance we put into life, the more we suffer. It's very natural. But because we're intelligent, we can go beyond that. We can go beyond the mind and know ourselves as truth. We can stop resisting life and accept life as it is and stop suffering. Up to you. You create your reality by your reaction to the world. Nobody does it to you. You do it to yourself. As I understand it, you lived a very affluent life when you were younger. How did you see that life was suffering even though you were wealthy and living in luxury? <laughs> if you watch the mind closely, every desire you have is a form of discontentment. That is suffering. Now, if we addicted to the demand that that desire become true or so, we suffer more because we're putting more resistance into it. Every desire is suffering. Because humans have so many desires, they don't recognize that they're suffering. But a desire for something that is not here now is discontentment. That is suffering. Any time we get attached to anything we think we own or love and it's threatened, once again, we usually go into suffering because we resist. Life, as it is for most human beings, is dissatisfying because of desires and attachments to things. This is the second of the Four Noble Truths in Buddhism. First Noble Truth being that life is dissatisfying. Second Noble Truth, this dissatisfaction is caused by desire and attachment to things. The third noble truth, which is a goodie, there can be an end to this suffering. The fourth noble truth is an eightfold path designed by Gautama the Buddha to end suffering by waking up. And so all those who are awake, who are teaching, teach others to wake up. And that teaching is called spreading the Dharma or teaching the Dharma, the teachings towards freedom. They don't have anything else to do. <laughs> That's it. Hmm. Come into the presence, tune in, fall in love with truth, and then do what you need to do to make it your home. If people who are not awake gather to talk about truth and investigate the mind, is that still helpful towards higher consciousness? I don't know. <laughs> Never really done that. Um, I've been involved with people who are awake since I was quite young. Uh, the idea of going and listening to lectures from someone who's not awake someone who's just spreading uh, knowledge. I mean, if I want to do that, I could go to the library, which I actually did at one stage. I, I got very sick in the uh, late 80s 
and uh, I spent uh, I think nearly six months in the library reading all the old masters whether they were Sufis or Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists I, I just wanted to read them all see what they all had to say and uh, I collected all this knowledge but at the bottom of it all each one of them was saying the same thing unconditional surrender is the answer there is no other answer and so by the end of that six months I realized that the collecting of knowledge had been a total waste except for one thing an understanding that unconditional surrender is the key to everything that's hard for humans to do though because we're not programmed for unconditional surrender it goes against our survival mechanism the only way that we can learn unconditional surrender is to practice acceptance and let go and if you're willing to practice acceptance and let go you can master your mind but you are going against the survival mechanism you look at formal meditation of simply watching the breath the breath comes in it turns it goes out it turns again comes in you're watching it a thought comes in you let the thought go you come to the breath you're actually practicing letting go formal meditation in a lot of ways is the practice of letting go of the mind and being with what is real the breath and so formal meditation has the ability to teach people surrender if it's practiced thinking about it doesn't help we can't think about surrender and get it that does does not work it is only practice that makes a difference nothing else What do you mean by mastering your mind? A mind that can stay still while under fire has been mastered. A mind that can surrender has been mastered. A mind that just carries on like a monkey running here and running there has not been mastered. Mastery of the mind comes through the practice of surrender, the practice of meditation, the practice of seeing through the mind, the practice of undoing all the things, all the belief systems that create contraction in us. Mastery of the mind takes a great deal of work. It is not easy, but it's absolutely possible. Little bit by little bit, you undo the mind. You kind of reverse engineer it. And take out all the things that have been put in that create you as contraction all the belief systems until there's just nothing there and so your mind is fresh again like a child's next question i have been to a satsang before and was finding it difficult to stay awake. Why do I get so tired in satsang? Well, there's two, two reasons that can happen. 
uh, and both re uh, related to energy. Uh, either you've got a whole pile of sleepy set, uh, tamasic type energy coming out during satsang because it's been released and it's wiping you out, or someone close to you is actually purging heavily because they're in satsang and their sleepy uh, tamasic energy is coming out and you're collecting it and it's wiping you out. So there's two ways. Because if you're in satsang uh, long enough with a teacher, it's just ping. The lights are on, but nobody's home. The next question is a bit of a personal one. My name means satisfaction. How can I find true satisfaction? Ah, change your wife. <laughs> Is there another way? <laughs> <laughs> that, way that way doesn't work either. <laughs> you want true satisfaction, you have to know yourself as beingness. There's no other way that I know. Any form of satisfaction that comes from materialism or the world is only going to be brief. It won't last long. Just gone. True satisfaction comes from knowing yourself as truth. Profound contentment for no reason. When awareness is aware of itself, the mind rests in beingness. From the mind's perspective, that is profound contentment for no reason. True satisfaction or true happiness. Find yourself as truth and be free. Your name, Tosh, means satisfaction. It was a sadhana. It was given to you as a goal, something to work towards. Now that's up to you. Now you need to do the work to fulfill that goal, to find satisfaction, to find beingness as yourself. Profound contentment for no reason. You ever had a look at the statues of the Buddha? They're an outward expression of what's happening inside someone who's awake. That peace, that serenity they have on their face. That's what's inside. Is it possible to wake up to true nature without being in satsang. Oh, heck yeah. Absolutely possible. Particularly if you've done it many lives before, life after life being in satsang. Makes it very easy. <laughs> we hear about teachers who have woken up at birth. Well, that's because they were already in their last life and they got reborn and they were, they were already awake. People think there's only one life. That's definitely not my experience. Hundreds of them. And remembrance of hundreds of them. We've done this before. We didn't come in here with nothing. We came in here with luggage. Our good karma and our bad karma. We've done this before. Whatever merits you achieve in a previous life, you carry forward to the next. Whatever detriments you achieve in a previous life, you carry forward to the next. 
Some people come in ready for awakening and wake up. Some people don't. How did you make satsang important in your life? My mind fell in love with beingness, with the, that expanded reality that is everything. It just fell in love with it, and you could say it probably became addicted to it. It just wanted more and more and more of it, and so it gave itself to it. Along with that came the understanding that the material world is just tinsel. It's not worth anything. It doesn't bring you anything. Higher consciousness, enlightenment, is just the best. It's just so nice to be profoundly content for no reason, to rest in beingness, from the mind's perspective, knowing self as this vast nothingness that is always here and everywhere. It's up to you. Have a look and see if you can find it. Everything else is a bit of a waste of time. There's only one game in town that's worth playing. That's the game of higher consciousness. And that takes you towards enlightenment. But it's up to you. You're the one who has to play. Nobody can do the work for you. No guru can do the work for you. They can show you the door and hold it open for you. But you have to step through. And you have to be prepared to step through. You can't be carrying any luggage with you. You have to come to this game naked. Thank you for satsang. Good to see your brave hearts here today. <laughs>